Stan, hi. How are you doing? Good morning, Richmond. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. It is indeed your morning and, and our evening. Where, where are yes. you? I'm in Brisbane, Australia. Just mm -hmm. at home in my downstairs, we call it the music room. But, um, and uh, yeah, it's about six o'clock in the morning. If I my can't... voice sounds a little bit, you know, sort of croaky, that'll explain it. <laughs> okay, well, you've got the coffee going, so um, that, that should lubricate yep. you up. And I can see behind you an array of guitars. Ah, uh, yes. Tell, tell me yes, about I your like guitars. collecting them. Sorry? Tell me about your guitars. Well, I, I, I like collecting them. I wish I could say I was a fantastic player. Uh, but um, those are my little three. It's a, an acoustic, an arch top, and a, a little electric that, that you can, I think, see in the corner there. And um, oh no, I've been playing guitar since I was a kid, really, and always had um, dreams of, of rock stardom, but never quite made it out of my own bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed on, um, I, there's a picture of you, which um, is, is quite rock and roll. And I'm just glancing at it just to remind myself who's on it. It's, it's Lennon. Is, uh, oh, yeah. you're, you're a Beatles man. Oh, big Beatles fan. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've, uh, I can remember when I was sort of six or eight lying on my back in, in my lounge room with my feet up on a chair sort of thing. I'm not sure why I was in that particular position, but I, I have this vivid re recollection of, of lying there. Um, it was the carpeted area of the house, you know, so it was very very special to go in there we, we <laughs> normally uh the kids weren't normally sort of meant to go in there and I can remember lying on the on the carpet with my feet up on the, the couch maybe even that was an act of rebellion I'm not sure and um listening to please please me you know yeah. one two three four and <laughs> off they go you know so it was uh some of my very early memories are, are about the Beatles. And, and just the other day, um, I went to a Beatles tribute band because here in Australia at the moment, uh, especially here in Brisbane, we don't have any real COVID. We've got only a couple of cases and they're all in quarantine. And so I feel very lucky, actually, and, and grateful because, um, yeah, I went to a, a concert and, and uh, you know, it the Beatle Boys um, singing all the classics. We did have some rules, though, for example, some COVID rules. So um, we weren't allowed to sing. So really? that was almost torture, you know, going to a, a Beatles concert, you know, 30 songs, all of which uh, were are entirely sing-alongable. Yeah. And we were only allowed to hum. Uh, right. so yeah, that was an unusual. In fact, sounds... the last song, the last song was Hey Jude. So you can imagine, you know, like everyone in the audience just sort of yeah. It sounds more like a sort of a Buddhist chanting ceremony than than rock and roll. It absolutely had a well it, it had a low-key feel that bit but the rest of it was um quite delightful yeah how, how close can you stand to people in that situation well the um the seats were all all occupied so i was i was surprised about that they had some various social distancing rules in the foyer uh, but in the actual hall we, we were we were just sitting next to each other Ah, oh, it was mm. sat down. Yeah, it was sat down. Um, I don't know. It, it it sort of feels surreal and like we're all on different planets. But but over here, we, we're we're really relatively, um, you know, unaffected by it at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good thing. Um, and um, the, th the thing that, that strikes me there, though, is always these these rock and roll gigs where you where you sit down. I'm I'm a, a music fan. I don't even I do have a guitar. I don't play it. But I, I love gigs and I love live music. And um, mm. I but I can't sit down as in I, I, well, I have sat down, but I find it extremely difficult. I mean, how do you play air guitar and things like that? I mean, it's really hard because the yeah. person next to you is, you know, your elbows sort of in their face. You, you, you just feel compelled to, to, to get up and, and to express yeah. your, your delight yeah. physically. Yeah, it's, it's sort of just part of the thing. And, you know, I'm sort of old school, dad rock, I suppose you call it now, you know, big ACDC fan and that, that genre. And, yeah, you, you just have to be standing up. Mm. Oh, with ACDC, yes, I, I, I uh, can't imagine you'd, you'd do it any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, interesting. You mentioned there about being a bit of a, a bit of a rebel, perhaps when you were when you were young, pushing the boundaries. No. no, I think I think I was. I think that was about as far as it got. Putting my feet up on the on the couch. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't call myself, you know, much of a, a rebel. Um, in fact, I was probably more of an anxious kid, to be honest, right. you know, yeah, sort of um, a bit of separation anxiety, really, more than anything, especially at that sort of younger age. And I've grown out of it now, of course. I'm, I'm able to be away from my mother. But um, <laughs> she's not there. So but, <laughs> no, but uh, still very close. But uh, back then, yeah, no, sort of more more anxious. I you know used to have little night terrors. Um, I used to sort of run up and down the hallway apparently in my sleep, leaping over things that weren't really there, you know. And um, and I used to be very worried, you know, when I'd walk home, is, is mum there, you know, can yeah. I see the car? She did this very interesting thing, actually. I, I, was, I was a little, little boy and I used to get to the, this point in the street where I could see the car parked in the driveway and I'd be very anxious about, you know, whether I could see it and whether it was there. And she did this thing where over several weeks she gradually would park the car slightly further and further down sort of the driveway so that gradually you know I, I sort of couldn't see it as much or as soon or whatever and and I of course I realized later when I was studying psychology she was doing a, a graduated exposure yeah. <laughs> treatment <Yeah>. on me yeah. <laughs> and um uh and it, it worked I guess you know I, I gradually you know got over all of that yeah. Do you know, have you spoken to your mum about that as to why she thought that would work or? Not in a lot of depth. I, I, I think I have sort of, you know, had, had little, little chats there, but, um, but no, she, she was sort of certainly aware uh, of those feelings in me. And um, I mean, there's, there's lots of other things. I mean, I, mum taught me, um, you know, basically what we might call progressive muscle relaxation. You know, I, I remember her telling me to sort of relax my arm and then she'd lift my arm up and, and she'd sort of let it go and she'd say, okay, just relax it a little bit more and then we'd create this floppy mm. arm that was ragdoll type stuff, you know. Um, and, and that was sort of at night time going to bed, you know, there were lots of little things like that, that I think she was kind of helping me navigate this, this feeling. Yeah. And um, mum was a, a general practitioner, a doctor, and, um, uh, and also, you know, kind of wise and well-read and, and was, I think, somewhat interested in, in psychology related sorts of things, but, but yeah, there's, there's, now, now that you, I mean, I don't think about these things very often, to be honest, but, uh, but yes, your, your questions, that's where it took me. Um, yeah, there are lots of little things like that, I think, where, 
where I was sort of learning to cope with anxiety. Yeah. So you, you were exposed to a, a, a rather holistic approach from, from a young age then. Your mum being a you know, classic doctor, but then using some of these techniques as well. She, she was a, a she, she, she was a, a very modern doctor, I would say, at the time. I mean, for example, and I'm not sure if this is the sort of thing you want to hear, but, um, but for example, um, my father was present at my birth. And this was 1971. So here in Australia, that, that was very early stuff. You know, the, the, there, was, there was, it was only just beginning that, that fathers would be present with that sort of thing. And so my mother's uncle uh, was the obstetrician. <clears throat> And, um, and he was like this kind of cutting edge obstetrician that was doing a lot of, you know, kind of natural birthing, fathers in the room, you know, kind of all the rest of it. He, he was really ahead of his time. And, and so mum and dad were, were, you know, also that way inclined. And, and, um, uh, and so we, you know, she, she had a, my mother had certainly a lot of those proclivities towards you know sort of very modern approaches in in health and medicine and and even psychology yeah yeah so were, were you interested in in medicine at some stage or, or was it always other things that grabbed your attention oddly I never really had any thought of doing medicine no I, I, for a long time, I wanted to do agricultural science. Yeah. I was very intent on, um, you know, well, you know, sort of the environment um, and those sorts of things. My grandfather on the other side, my dad's dad, had been a, an agricultural scientist and I, I had a, an affinity with, with him as well. And, and um, he had invented this way of curing black spot on sugar cane or something like that. I, I or it might've been, no, I think it was sugar cane. <laughs> anyway, I can't really remember uh, exactly the details there, but <clears throat> I only knew him. He died when I was about 10 or 11, but yeah, I had this sort of interest in agricultural science and the environment. And, and um, at another stage, I thought I might be a plumber. Um, you know what it's like, you, you sort of yeah. wander around thinking about different sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. But never really medicine. I, I, I wasn't great at school, really. I, I, I was sort of, you know, pretty average performer, um, primary school and early high school. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure if it was that or whether I just wasn't overly interested in um, you know, blood and pus and broken bones, and I'm not sure what, but yeah, sort of, sort of hands-on-ish stuff, actually, wasn't it? Really, originally, it was was where where I was leaning. So more more practical stuff. I mean, you play. When when did you start yeah. the guitar? I think I started bass guitar in about uh, grade nine, so maybe thirteen or fourteen. Um, so I was learning bass first of all, and then about a year later, I I bought that electric guitar um, and started to to sort of learn that as well. What what made you choose bass to start with? I can't really remember. I mean, it might have been a Paul McCartney thing. Um, thought it was sort of cool. Uh, I'd been playing the viola actually at you know so i'd done that for a, a couple of years already but mum kept getting letters home saying you know stan didn't attend viola lesson again ah. today or something. <laughs> so it hadn't quite grabbed me mm, where were um, you i think i was just <laughs> staying in staying in my class my the normal class and just not going um it it, it didn't really sort of grabbed me much and 
And of course, there was one or two incidents, you know, being being pushed down the stairs by an older kid and, and abused for carrying a viola, you know, things like that had happened. So there were various complications there, shall we say. Yeah. And um, I, I moved to, to learning to play bass um, just with a private teacher, not, not, not in and around school. Um, and that, that, that guitar here that I've got is actually, um, that was my guitar teacher's guitar and he was getting a new one and he sort of had it for sale. And so that's what triggered me into buying a six string. Yeah. And um, I would like to say that the rest is history, but there's not much history <laughs> there necessarily. It just, I, I just, you know, twiddle away on the guitar, you know, here and there and played a lot to my kids, I guess. That was one avenue that, that yeah. it, it happened, but yeah. So you've got your little fan group. Well, not anymore. Freya's 19 or turning 19 shortly. Harry's about to turn 16. Uh, so they're, they're sort of, you know, more the, the eye, eye roll brigade now rather <laughs> yeah. than fan group, I must say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, okay, so you, you got to the end of, of school and, and that's the point where obviously we're starting to think a little bit more about where, where we're going to go. When, when did you start yeah. to sort of lean more towards psychology and, and the stuff that you're doing now? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the story goes for me that, that in about grade 11, I um, got pretty depressed, basically, I think, you know, I, I uh, sort of, I had, I had good friends and, and, you know, I was doing okay with things and, and whatever but for some reason this 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 sort of other feeling then started to you know kind of overcome me somewhat and um you know it's that classic thing that one of the older boys in the school gave or recommended that i i read man's search for meaning by victor mm -hmm. frankel and um and that really made a a, a, a very powerful impression on me I, I um i i was really enthralled by the story of of suffering there and and the kind of you know that that ability to um i don't think overcomes quite the right word maybe uh you know that, that ability to persist and that ability to uh, remain somewhat kind of hopeful or at least, you know, that sense of meaning. And, mm -hmm. and so that's really what got in there, I think, think you know, is, is sort of suffering and meaning. Yeah. And it, it helped me a lot, really. I, of course, then <laughs> became one of those kids that, you know, sort of, got into Nietzsche and wrote various aphorisms on my homework diary and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and, um, and then my grandmother, who was also a GP, you, you can start to sense you know, the theme <laughs> emerging. Uh, I come from a long line of, of doctors at, on my mother's side. And um, by this stage, she she had moved out of general practice and into counselling. She was she was really into that, and she was particularly into uh, Fritz Perls and and all of his work. But she happened to we had a big chat and we were talking about it, and she happened to pass on to me Carl Rogers um, on becoming a person. Okay. And so uh, by you know. Grade eleven, grade twelve, I was soaking up Carl Rogers and and uh, very fascinated and interested in in him, and absolutely by the end of or by the middle of grade twelve, when we were all putting our preferences in and whatever, I was very clear that I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. I, I'd been to the university sort of, you know, they gave presentations to school leavers and they talked about, you know, 
there were there was a sort of a, a three-year bachelor's and then there was an honors degree and then there was a master's degree and I was very clear that that was what I wanted to do I, I always feel you know so fortunate because it can be really hard to work out what the heck do I want to do and and what am I going to invest all this these next years in at uni you know but I I, I was um and you know it I, I decided and you know certainly with that really haven't looked back very very sort of pleased with with that decision yeah so yeah so grade 11 and grade 12 what what year how old are you then in australia uh well at, back then we were 16 and 17 so i would have turned 16 in the october of grade 11 and then 17 in the october of grade 12 yeah so it sounds I was, like I was sort of at the younger end of, of everyone. Mm. So you you were young for the year. Yeah. But but yeah, you you've been exposed to this, well, we could say, you know, compassionate approach to doctoring and to to counseling. And then you're introduced to to some of the books. And was it mm-hmm. and you think it was that kind of blend that you were just like, wow, this is it. This is kind of the light bulb moment. This is what I can do. Yeah, I, I I think so. It's 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 hard to really remember the the tin tacks of how it went, but I you know there's there's lots of various things. You know, I remember standing on the same steps that a couple of years earlier someone had pushed me down, <laughs> and talking to another guy, you know, boy in my year, and 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 really being the listener in that situation and and really feeling um actually i'm feeling it now just which is really weird because this is literally 30 something years ago but um uh, anyway you know like feeling really moved by what he was going through as well and the 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 sort of the sort of the the story he was describing you know in that moment I, i can remember being on a sort of a a um a lower step and you know kind of looking at him and and him talking about you know sort of something that that he was he was going through and and so there's yeah there was sort of I think there were there were relatives and conversations with them there was sort of you know the older wiser boy who kind of gave me this sort of thing that there were books that I kind of read there were these experiences with others where I felt very moved in the the role of of listener, and I I just did that classic thing where I felt, um, you know, actually I would really like to be helpful to ah. people. And, you, know, that, you know, I know that's sort of something of a cliche for for all of us in the helping profession, but I think you know cliches often describe things that happen, and yeah. um, you know that was that was definitely a, a kind of a just a, a, a sort of an undeniable urge, I think, that that, that arose mm. and became clear. That, mm. that example with with that other boy, then at that point, bearing in mind, you know, you received no formal training. Of course, it was through learning, observation, experience, etc. Do, do you think at that point it was it was pure empathy as opposed to compassion, where you might be then doing something or what do you what do you think well i i think it was it was certainly something very just innate and not uh intentional in a kind of a skills way or an in or or um strategy strategy kind of way i think it was a, a mixture of 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 empathy but but you know empathic concern sympathy um feeling just really aware that that he was having a lot of a lot of troubles and um and he was copping a lot of slack from you know teachers he he, he was he was having you know a, a tough time really and he went on to have you know a tough tougher time I think later on he was 
struggled with mental illness and so on once yeah beyond school but um yeah i I don't know maybe a kind of just that innate combination of empathy and sympathy and and concern and 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 but you know probably not with with some of those other skills of therefore knowing really what to do about all that yeah and and with this sort of way that you you were sort of discovering and and felt how do you remember how people responded to you do you mean the like for example that boy or how he responded in that moment or do you mean in in terms of where my head was going and the direction i was taking yeah more more how how people so the boy maybe you said that you would you know, listen to family. I mean, did, did you do you remember sort of noticing how they were with the fact that there you are as a 16, 17 year old? And that almost becomes irrelevant because you're a person who's just there listening and being there. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I, I, I'm not sure about that. That's that's a really very interesting question. I was I think I was very it was really organic for me. I was just being in the moment, you know, I think I noticed that, you know, in, in a sense, people responded well to it. Uh, I, I, I remember feeling like in that particular instance, the conversation lasted a long time, even though I was really just listening. Um, I, 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 did, I do think that I got affirmed or even, um, you know, kind of praised for it, probably. I think there was an element there where, where you would get that sort of um, encouraged, encouraged feeling that, that you know, this was, this was working or, or helping or being received in a positive way. But I've never thought about that before, you know, about you know, sort of how people were, were responding or or viewing it. Yeah. There we go. And then, I mean, moving yeah. on to when you started the training at university then, you know, you, you've, you've already got several years of, of ideas and experiences. How how did you find the training? How did, how did it stand up to what you were expecting or thinking would happen? Yeah. Well, of course, um, your first year university <laughs> has lots of, um, you know, wonders and, and uh, different experiences. And uh, I went to a, an old boys school. So for starters, you know, there were girls around and, and um, we, uh, we had the, the rec club, you know, um, where you could go and whatever and and so um and and actually i think you know interestingly first year psychology is is often about some pretty dry stuff too you know you you, it's a long way before you get into the tin tacks of what i was really interested in and exploring so you would do stuff about you know reaction times and and um you, you know group dynamics which was all sort of interesting and funnily enough you know a lot of that stuff becomes more obviously relevant down the track you know once you can make sense of it in a in a a sort of a real way but in first year uni you know I I was um, really mainly focused on lots of other things and (laughs) and um, you know uh, basically got sort of straight fours or something like that. We have a, a rating system of, of one to seven and, and four is your pass. Yep. And so, you know, I, I, I think that was the other thing. I, I used to be a person who, um, you know, basically did enough to get to the next level. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> um, I, I struggled a bit academically at the best of times and, was a hard worker, but to the point where, you know, I, I, I got to the next bit, you know, and then the next bit. And so as, as university progressed, I started doing, you know, better and better. 
so that I could get into the next bit. But um, but yeah, so there was a, a little bit of a feeling of, um, you know, just the, the dryness of the course and, and the, the sort of more the, the adventure of life, you know, mm. that was opening up around me, you know, lots of driving up the coast and surfing, mm. um, going out and, you know, uh, meeting new people and, and all of that stuff, I think, became something of a focus for a couple of years. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> we have um, a place up here north, north of Brisbane called Malulaba. And so um, spent a lot of time at Malulaba back then. And I, I spend a lot of time at Malulaba now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's, there's a, a few connectors there. Yeah. And so what, what's up there? Well, it's just, uh, it's called, it's part of the Sunshine Coast. So we have Caloundra and Malula Bar and Marucci Door and Noosa. A lot of people Noosa, have heard yep. of Noosa. Noosa That's yeah. kind of heading up the coast. And so, yeah, there's just beaches and surf and a river and, and fishing and I guess, and, and um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's, and that's within reach. That's, that's not so far from you. You can just. About an hour. Yeah. Which is nothing really for you, is it? An hour in the car? Well, we, we are a, a, a large landmass. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of distances yeah. over here. And so, um, well, yeah, and, and actually, if you think about other major cities, I guess it can take an hour just to get to work or whatever. So, yeah, now now it's not too bad. Yeah, great. Somewhere to, to escape. But um, if I'm right, you also, you, you then escaped to America. Well, only bri briefly. I didn't ever live there. I th where, where did you get into the, the MI side of things? Because that was something I was interested to see. Yeah. It, it felt like a natural sort of progression. It didn't surprise me um, when I saw that. Absolutely. The, the, um, the you know, I, I, I did the, the, the undergrad and the postgrad in psychology I worked for a couple of years and then I went back to do my PhD and the PhD was, was in the area of, of um, combat veterans and, and they had, you know, might present with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder and, and alcohol dependence. And so that, you know, we, we used motivational interviewing among other things to, um, to kind of, work with with all of those guys and and um I suppose the years passed and and I was working as a as a clinical psych I, I ended up in um an alcohol and drug service as well and I think it was 2007 that um I made the the trip to America and and um was in Chicago actually and uh did the the, the TNT, the training new trainers um, in Chicago. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I really had this just undeniable feeling. I, I, I walked into the room and it was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, like I'm home yeah. almost. You know, these are my people. Yeah. Uh, it was really sort of quite a striking feeling and, and experience there um, but there was just such a, a sense of familiarity and, and collegiality and, and connection with people um, and that was a training run by Bill Miller and Terry Moyers <clears throat> and so you know that was of course I was in awe there and uh, having read and, and referenced those guys so many times <laughs> Um, and um, a number of the people in that in that particular cohort were, uh, you know, are, are still good friends. Great. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I I think I get a sense of of what you mean from my you know much more limited um, experience of of MI and and um, getting to know Steve Rolnick and going on on doing some of his stuff and. There's, there's a real humbleness to the people, the trainers, 
there's an openness to, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, really, you know, to really listening to what everyone has to say. Every, everyone's, everyone's opinion is valued. It, mean, it means yeah. something. And, and that yeah. always sort of takes me back because that doesn't happen in a lot of other fields that I've put my foot into uh, where people do almost completely the opposite. And it's and it's so it's so attractive because everyone feels so positive about what they're doing, and mm. so I, I th- yeah I, th- I think I sense what you what you mean by that. Mm. Yeah, no, there's definitely you know sort of there's a there's a welcomingness to it, and there's sort of warmth um, and and just that positive regard, and there's a kind of a there's something of a safeness there. I mean, the, the, you know, the, there are robust conversations <laughs> that happen in the mint community, and and not everyone agrees, you know, or whatever. But there, there's there does seem to be a. a I, I think in some ways those those conversations do and can happen because of the warmth and safeness that that's also there. Yeah, and you know, you you walk into the room full of minties or whatever. And there's just this expressed delight. You know, you, you feel like people are delighted to see you. And, and you know, what, what's better than that? You know, that, that, to, to, to feel like people are delighted to see you is just such a, an uplifting, heart-filling, you know, kind of experience. And you're just as delighted to see them. Yeah. And so it's, it's I think they're... There, there is a, a, a lot of that sort of thing um, in the, the sort of the mint community and, and you know, MI more broadly. Yeah. They, they offer, you know, the minties do, you know, walk the walk and so on, I think. And, and it, it, MI, just as Carl Rogers might say, you know, it really is a, a way of being. Yeah. You know, and, and so a lot of the, the spirit of MI and, and the, and the skills and, and so on. And, but, you know, it, it, it just becomes a part of how one interacts, you know, just generally. So when, when you started the, the way and, and engage with the, just the fact that it has this thing called the spirit, you know, it says something, doesn't it? So when you, when you engage with that for the, for the first time, did it just feel like, hey, this is, this is it? You know, I'm at home here. I'm sort of doing this stuff already. It, this makes so much sense. I just want to develop it. A little bit. I, I, I had, obviously, I, before I got to Chicago, I'd done some training and my PhD supervisor was Professor Ross Young. And he, he was a very accomplished um, academic, but also he'd always had a clinical practice. And, and he was sort of mates with, with Steve to a certain degree, or at least academic kind of, you know, colleague with each other um, and so he'd done a lot of supervision with me and 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 so on but and, and I get that comment from people when they attend MI workshops you know like ah, oh, you know like I you know I feel really reassured because um, you know this is what I'm already doing or something um, but actually for me <laughs> I, I felt like I I actually learned a lot of new stuff at that TNT. Uh, I, I felt like the, the the nuance of MI just came alive in that three days, mm. you know, um, in a way that meant that that actually at, at certain at certain sort of levels and and skill levels, I was now you know sort of doing things differently or doing things more or, or, you know, sort of maybe just a, a, a much better sense of, of what I was doing or doing it for. So I wasn't one of those people who was like, oh, good, this is what I already do. I, I, I actually was kind of like, boom, wow, this is, uh, this is powerful stuff. And, and um, it kind of, you know, was that was also a, a real turning point for me, actually, from there, and um, changed my practice, but also obviously became much more involved in the training side. Yeah, yeah. 
how did it how did it change your practice well i think i think the the, the spirit stuff i probably knew or, or sort of practiced or um in one way or another you know a lot of the rogers stuff i'd i'd read much earlier and then throughout and you know carl rogers is certainly my you know psychology hero you know yep. I, I i um even these days you know i'll if, if i'm having trouble sleeping at night or something i i jump on youtube and and look for Carl Rogers videos and, you know, yeah. sort of soothes me. And I watch, I still love to, uh, to watch him in action. But um, so that part of it, maybe, you know, sort of, okay, well, that, you know, gave me a good structure around all that. But I think it, I think it was also just the, 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 the way that we're using all of these skills, but with a tilt, you know, with a tilt towards certain language and, and the, 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 the psycholinguistics of all of that and the way that um, you can really sort of listen carefully to to the words and the way that the words are said and and the, the sort of the the road that the person travels with with language in the conversation and I think I think that was the bit that um, really kind of got supercharged turbocharged after um the the mi training with with bill and terry um and um you know just becoming very sensitive to i mean it's a silly example in a way but you know the the difference between someone saying what they could do versus what they should do versus what they would do or whatever you know those little (laughs) they're, they're just kind of one or two letters are different there yeah. But those are actually, you know, little words that are tapping into different aspects of what we might call motivation. Yeah. And so that, 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 I think it was that that really changed and deepened and got much richer for me after, after all that training. Yeah. So really paying attention to what, not just what people are saying, but, but how they're saying it, uh, mm. subtle differences in tone and, and such like exactly because you know i could do such and such is also different to i could do such and such yeah. <laughs> um and so you know like it, it's it's so it's this, it's this nuanced stuff that there's the subtleties of all of that you know the the words the tone the whole body and how how the person's expressing it uh and you know I, someone has said you know we we listen with our eyes and our ears, really, you know, and so that whole notion of really observing and listening and noticing and, and responding to and, and then, you know, picking up on the, on the person's response to our response and that gives you all these clues about, you know, is this the way we're going and, and um, moving away from just listening in a, in a kind of, intuitive gut feel way which is cool but listening in a very intentional purposeful um attentive you know noticing kind of way is, is the thing yeah you've got a, a sort of an image there of, of well basically what you're doing right there and then another image of of of, of the the therapist sitting in an armchair facing away from the the patient in inverted commas over there with, with the clipboard, not, not just maybe not even listening, but, but they're just there and someone's talking and it's, mm. it's not that same engagement by any stretch of the imagination. It, 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 um, it, it's sort of eff- an effortful process, you know, so after a day of, of, you know, active listening, you know, through MI and, and, and therapy, you know, be, you know, on top of that, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of tiring because you're putting a lot of mental attention and, and thought, you know, into, into what, what the person's saying. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you look after yourself then? We, we haven't used the word compassion or self-compassion yet. 
Um, so I'm bringing it in now full force to, to find out a bit more about what, what you do to look after yourself, which. Ah. Yeah, well, well, it's <clears throat> it's interesting because, as you know, the 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 MI spirit um, got sort of elaborated upon in, in the, the the more recent version of, of Miller and Rolnick's um, motivational interviewing book. Uh, formalized, I guess, in, in uh, compassion became formalized as part of the the MI spirit, and and that sort of got me thinking, you know, as a, as a practitioner and as a trainer, what, what is this thing, you know, compassion? And, and, um, and so that became the next turning point in a sense for me and exploring all things compassion and, and self-compassion, as you say, and, and um, you know, kind of experiencing uh, mindful self-compassion and, and Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer's approach. Um, Again, that was traveling back to America, and um, that, but except this time down in Southern California in, in Joshua Tree in, in California. Nice. Uh, and then from there, you know, discovering Paul Gilbert's work um, around compassion focused therapy and compassionate mind training. And, and one of his real contributions, I think, there is, is what he talks about as, as the flows of compassion that we have compassion for others and we also receive compassion from others and then the third flow is this idea of of self-compassion and i think the challenge in self-care is how can we keep those flows somewhat in balance you know I, I, for me um compassion aids motivational interviewing <clears throat> and, and is a part of MI. But, but also MI is really in a funny way, like the embodiment of compassion. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's about compassion for others. And, and you know, in, those early, in that early chapter in, in Bill and Steve's book, you know, they, that's how they sort of might describe compassion is, is really you know, not about self-interest, but about the well-being of, of the other, of the person that you're having a conversation with and so on. But then we need to, you know, have some sense of our own self-care, that, 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 you know, compassion fatigue, I guess, is, is sort of a thing. And, and my sense of it is that compassion fatigue is, 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 is sort of most likely to, to sort of develop when we're just focusing on that one flow of compassion for others and so yeah being open to receiving compassion from others and you know offering ourselves self-compassion is the the thing but of course you know people also have blocks there or fears or or they, they you know reservations about you know being open to receiving compassion from others and, and a lot of clinicians have that Oddly, you know, they're often very high on compassion for others, but much more wary of letting other people see their own vulnerabilities. And, and so, and then there's, you know, people worry about self-compassion too, you know, like, isn't that just self-pity or won't that mean that I'm weak or something like that? So there's all those little fears, blocks and resistances to work through. And we could talk for hours on all that stuff, but, um, but ultimately, it, it's the question of, for me, is, you know, what, what do I also really need right now? You know, what, what, what would really be helpful for me in, in this moment? You know, what, what would be really helpful rather than harmful, yeah. you know, for, yeah. for me in this moment as, as well? I, I remember at the Mindful Self-Compassion retreat uh, many years ago now, um, Chris Germer sort of saying, you know, really um, self-compassion is about simply widening your circle of compassion to also include yourself. <laughs> um, you know, compassion, we, we have compassion for 
humans and other living beings and and we're a living being too so you know that's that's you know in, in some ways that's all it is and that that helps me actually quite a lot i know it's it's perhaps not overly mind-blowing but for me it was like okay you know well, that, that makes sense you know i i can i can be compassionate towards others but also find ways to include myself but of course you know that that is that becomes the 64 million dollar question you know what is it that I also really need right now, you know, is it that I need to rest and and to you know, you know, the bubble bath kind of option of of um, self care, or or is, does it mean that actually I need to um, keep my exercise going? I know that's a big one for you. I think Richmond is you know kind of exercise and running and and. Um, you know, or, or is actually self-compassion right now, you know, I, I, I said this somewhere recently, but, um, you know, last last weekend, I, I just had to get my taxes done. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't sound like self-care in a way, but in a way it was because, you know, it had been on my mind, it had been keeping me awake, I'd been worrying about these damn taxes and, you know, I've never been good at that stuff. And so an act of self-compassion was, was to get that done. And actually it did alleviate a lot of suffering for me to get that done, you know, to put it behind me. So, sorry, I, I mean, that, that, that was a bit of a, a long and waffly response, but, but that, that's, that's the thing for me is the wisdom of self-care and that it's not the same for everyone and, and, and trying to think and, and discover for oneself, you know, what, what, what do I also really need right now in, you know, in, in service of my own well-being yeah what what you've done i think is is you've widened it right out so that it's you know as you said in a sense meeting needs meeting your needs now and and removed perhaps some of the um ideas that it might be self-indulgent and given yeah. people practical ways of, of thinking about it. And, and certainly, you know, your, your terrific new book, which, which I've got here and I, I finished last week, The, the Gifts of Compassion. Yeah. I mean, you, you, it's, it's just a sort of, the, you know, it's the perfect length. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and it's just really practical. And, and yes. you know, the, right. the, 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 the bits that, that stood out for me, I mean, people will have different things that it, but, you know, this, yeah. the, you know, focusing on the blame side of things, the, the yeah. self-critic, um, forgiveness, yes. those, those things are so, so important for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, really trying to take a, a, a sort of a non-blaming, non-shaming approach to ourselves and, and the fact that, you know, it, it's tricky. You know, it's tricky to have these brains. I... I I had a brain where I was more likely to be a bit anxious as a kid, you know, and that wasn't my fault. Yeah. It wasn't anyone's fault, actually. It, it was just that I was pretty anxious and, and, um, and, and, you know, we, we all, we don't get a choice as to the brains that we're born with. And, and, you know, luckily for me, I, I was, um, then brought up in a way whereby my mother shaped me to really try to manage that part of myself, you know, that anxiety and, and, um, and, but, but lots of us are shaped in, in all sorts of different ways. You know, we might feel anxious, but then we might be punished for being anxious. And, and then that takes on a whole new meaning. And none of that's our fault either, because, you know, we, we don't have really choice in the matter. And, and so I think, yeah, that, that for me is, 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 is when, we, when we arrive at that moment, you know, it, it's, it's not our fault. Um, our suffering is not our fault. Yeah. And, you know, we can sort of try to find ways to manage it. We take responsibility there and, and find ways to, to manage it. And we, and we try to work with self-criticism or we try to work with um, those feelings of shame. And, and, you know, forgiveness, you mentioned too. I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because sometimes we feel like oh you know like uh, i can't forgive that person well actually that that's in a way um maintaining our own suffering you know to to hold on to the anger and and the the, the sort of the, the rage of of 
you know, so often forgiveness can be a very important act of self-compassion too. And so, and, but, you know, the fact that we have trouble with that, that's not our fault either. You know, our, our brains were designed with all of these weird and wonderful mechanisms and functions and especially socially, you know, socially, um, we're such a hyper-social species and yet hopeless at it sometimes, <laughs> you know, like we just, we sort of cock that up so often, you know, and, and we feel worried about it and we monitor ourselves in the group. And, and I think that's why it, it just smacked me in the face, that, that sense of, of welcome and belonging in the, in the MI world and, and, and with the people there because, that's what the human brain, that's when we flourish, is when we feel that warmth and safeness and connection and, and, and you know, kind of sense of belonging. Um, we're not going to get rejected and cast out of the group, but we, and then we flourish, then we can think and explore and play and be curious. And, and, and I think in MI, that's what we're actually creating that space for the people we're working with. And then I think we want to try to create that space for ourselves as well in a, in a self-compassionate way. How can we create that sense of warmth and safeness and, and self-compassion within ourselves as well? Hmm. I mean, you, those, those messages you, you capture so well and, and so clearly in, in the book. You, when, when you've gone through it and you've read it, you get to the end, you know, all of that shines through in just these very simple ways, which, which, which makes it perfect, because mm -hmm. I think anyone could pick this up, um, you know, clinician, lay person, someone interested, and, and just have a really good idea about what they can do to, to make mm. things better, to be, as exactly as you said, to be helpful for themselves mm. and for those of the loved ones around them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, um, I appreciate you saying that, actually. I, I um, it sort of... It's very encouraging because that that's absolutely what I was setting out to achieve is, is how can we kind of create a, a very, um, you know, sort of in, engaging and plain language, you know, kind of description and explanation and, and practice of all of these sorts of things. And, and, um, and really it, it, it boils down to, yeah, may I be helpful rather than harmful. Yeah. to myself and others you know may i be helpful rather than harmful to myself and others and and you know if we bring that to mind and and you know that that just creates a whole different you know kind of presence in the world i think yeah absolutely bring that to ourselves to to our kids to to the workplace where you know wherever yeah yeah That's fantastic exactly. I, I know you've got to go to work. We could chat for hours. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I'm going to be going to bed soon while you go to work. But, but where, <laughs> where, where can people um, find out about you and what you're up to? Ah, well, um, my practice is called Psychology Consultants um, here in Brisbane. And, and that's just psychologyconsultants.com.au. And, and sort of there's... There's a little bit of stuff there. Um, very happy for people to connect on, on Facebook. <clears throat> and uh, I have Dr. Stan Steindl as a Facebook page. Um, also on, on Twitter, where you and I have kind of interacted a little bit too, you know, um, at Stan Steindl on, on, on Twitter. You know, I'm I'm on Instagram. You know, it's just that weird. <laughs> That's what this sort of weird online kind of presence. And actually, you know, like you, I mean, it, it, it's it's so interesting how we now get to meet friends, um, you know, all over the world, and and often often not even set eyes on them, but sometimes set eyes on them, but over video, you know, and, and not yet um, having met face to face. So yeah, I'd love to check in with people on all of those things. I, I have a, a, a fun little YouTube channel, which I affectionately call Compassion in a T-shirt. So if anyone's interested, uh, you know, that you can see various silliness on there with, with Compassion in a T-shirt, mainly um, 
uh, you know, my, my mum watches it and that's about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, but there's lots of ways. People can also just email me, stan at psychologyconsultants.com.au and, and very keen to keep up the conversation. Fantastic. I'll, I'll put all those links on the um, on the page. And, um, I mean, I, I got your book from Amazon, I believe. Yeah, Amazon and, and other sort of online providers. And, and you can also buy it direct from the publisher. Some of those links are on my Psychology Consultants website as well. Okay, fantastic. We'll put all those on. Brilliant. Well, listen, it's been fantastic to chat. And yep. um, let's let's keep in touch. Yes. And uh, I hope you have a good day in um, what I assume is very sunny Brisbane. Uh, yes, I the sun is only just getting up so i haven't checked in on that yet today but no thank you richmond very much you you are a a a, a wonderful uh, interviewer you know you 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 make make things very comfortable you you ask sort of questions that that really made me think and uh you 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 have a a lovely demeanor so thank you very much for having me on your podcast well, thank you. And thank you for those kind words. And I appreciate that. All right. You Good take care. Mate. See Cheers. Ya.